Hey, Fungo Banter fans, we're back for another episode of your Fungo Banter podcast. I am Eric Sorensen in Ellsworth, Washington at Big Country Studios, about to bring on Kelly Gow and Jason Jarrett to join us, our co-host. We have another fun episode ahead of you today, but first, some housekeeping. Get on Facebook, check us out, Pacific Northwest Fungo Banter, or get on Twitter, at Fungo Banter PNW, and give us a like, give us a follow. In the next couple of weeks, and every week, we're going to have a fungo banter or a banter question of the week. We put one out last week, non-essential game days, things you need. Uh, we had some really fun answers and some fun questions, but check us out. You know, we love to communicate with you guys on social media. So reach out when we when we post those out there. Let's get some great conversation going. You can find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe, rate us, and, and let us know what you think. So, you know, let's bring on our guests this week. We have two-time state champion, Glenn Walker, current head coach at Auburn Mountain View. He was the head coach at Liberty High School in Issaquah. And coach, this is a really fun interview with him. A lot of great insights to things here. Um, you know what? Let's, let's let him introduce himself, and we'll bring him on here for the hard-hitting questions. Let's bring on coach. All right, Fungo Banter fans, back with this another episode with this week's guest glenn walker head coach at auburn mountain view coach thank you for joining us and welcome to the podcast yeah thanks for having me guys i, I really appreciate uh you having me on absolutely we know where it's a joy to have you and we're, we're privileged and real quick hard-hitting fungo or hard-hitting question what's your favorite fungo you know i i've been watching you guys and, and i i gotta agree i'm an ssk guy um i go up with a little blue head and, and the natural handle but i, I will tell you um, you know, I tried the axe bat fungo, uh, a little while back and, and I, that, that's my favorite by, by far. Um, the problem is that you wear out the handle and, and I figured that towards the end of the season, I either had to start wearing batting gloves or, uh, the infield outfield or, or change fungos and I changed fungos. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was just staring at my SSK the other day thinking, man, I, I need to swing you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So talk us about your start in the coaching, um, your time at Liberty, and then what led you to take over or start the program at Auburn Mountain View? Um, well, I, so kind of going back, I mean, you know, I'm a little older than, than most of you guys. So um, I actually graduated from Liberty High School uh, back in 1990 when I got back from Gonzaga. Uh, I got my first teaching job at Liberty, um, kind of an interim uh, position, and um, applied for the baseball job, was honored by by getting that. And then <clears throat> shortly after I got the teaching job, um, a position opened up in Auburn. And I was living down south in Auburn. And um, unfortunately, um, you know, good things happen for bad reasons sometimes. Um, um, a long-term PE teacher down there in Auburn uh, passed away in a vehicle accident. And so I was able to take that position from him. Um, but... In the, in the interim, I was still coaching at Liberty. And so I spent my first eight years at Liberty. And I tell you what, that was a ball. You know, coaching at your alma mater, um, you know, I, I talk like, tell people off, and, I, you know, I bleed royal blue. Um, and, you know, from 1998 till um, 2005, that's where I spent my years. And it was great. You know, I, I'd get off work at 2 o'clock, and I'd drive to, to Liberty, which is about 25, 30 minutes away. And, we practiced for three hours and I'd drive back to Lake Taps and um, it wasn't easy, but it was very rewarding. I got to coach some later. I take over Liberty high school and we got Andy Jarvis and Tila Reynolds and 
you know, on and on, Troy Martin and Christian Reynolds, and then Lincecum, come. I thought, hey, this coaching thing's pretty easy. You know, you just show up to the field, and these guys know how to win. You know, it was pretty awesome. Um, in 2005, um, Auburn Mountain View, the fall of 2005, Auburn Mountain View opened, um, and I was offered the job, both PE and, and baseball. So I took it closer to home. Hard to leave Liberty. We had a great group coming back, but it was just the next step in my in my uh, in my life. So I took that. So 2006, first season, boy, we had no seniors. Um, my best friend and I, Pat O'Connor, coached the team, um, and it was rough. We started a kid who turned at shortstop, needed to cut to first base. Um, Quite, you know, couldn't quite get it there, and you know, we started things the way that we wanted them um, taught and coached, and and the program to run, and um, so that's where I've been. Brand new school, they fully outfitted us in turf and lights, and and very blessed to be there, and had some some success because of it. But uh, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Well, coach, you've had got yourself a couple state championships. You're a 300 plus win coach there what really has been your key to your success over the years of coaching well um ultimately you go back to the guys right i mean it's you know i may be the the head coach but there's i I don't i do very little um i surround myself with great people Uh, i surround myself with quality coaches that um are there for the kids and you know we we have great kids and, and parents and and community involvement in both programs um, as far as what we do, our keys, I think, consistency and our philosophy, uh, we trust the process. And that's that's a big quote that we use is trust the process. It's um, more important than the outcome. Um, and it took me a long time to uh, figure that part out, that the wins and losses were a byproduct of the product of the process that you put in uh, each and every day. And um, we did a lot of things that, that maybe other programs weren't. We had retreats and we'd have, you know, parties after we'd have team dinners. We, we, we kind of did things on a, on a much more, um, excessive and elevated level in my opinion. Um, and I think that helped bring the kids into the program and bring the families together. Um, but at the end of the day, our approach was doing the little things, um, from the time that we stepped foot on the field, hats were on the right way. Nobody turned their hats around. Just little things um, to try to create buy-in. Um, and at the end of the day, um, the kids bought in. And so the success was a byproduct of kind of the creation of that that consistency and philosophy that, that we did. Um, we may not outscore teams, Um but we will outwork them, we'll out-hustle them, we'll out-prepare them, and hopefully we'll outplay them. Um, you know, at the, at when when the seventh inning finishes or, or the end of the game, the last pitch is thrown, um, we can walk off the field with our heads high, even at a loss, if we did those things um, that we talk about. And, and, I, and I tell the kids all the time that, you know, I, I can handle losing. I'm not a fan of it. Let's be honest. Nobody likes losing, but I can handle losing if we lose in the right way. You know, are we respectful of the other team? Do we respect the umpires? Do we respect the game? Because um, ultimately, um, that's all we can do. You know, you can control the three things, your attitude, effort, and how you respond. Um, and 
and we try to preach to our kids that that mentality. Um, strive for perfection. No, we're not going to get there, but um, you know that's our goal every day. Do you feel that your freshmen that are coming into your program uh, with that that team camaraderie, that kind of that tradition of winning and and know what to expect, have an easier way to adapt to your program of coming in? Yeah, you know, it, it's when I was at Liberty, yes. Um, the, the community was really supportive, and, and we had a lot of things going. Um, and as freshmen, our kids came in hungry to play varsity, and they worked tirelessly to do so. Um, and I, one of my, my favorite conversations with a kid was um, him telling me, how badly he wanted to play for me, how badly he wanted to play varsity. And that every day he was on the field was for that, that reason. Uh, moving over to Upper Mountain View, things are a little bit different um, as far as mentality. Um, and I think in the last five years, we've seen kind of a decline in, in the excitement for baseball in our area. And I think it's not just Upper Mountain View, but we are one of those hard hit. Um, and so we're losing a bit of that. But, yeah, I mean, for a long, long time, it was obvious that kids came into the program, and every year I, I, I had a uh, freshman make varsity. And it wasn't because that was what we did, but we had a kid good enough to play varsity. But everybody else, they had to work. Started a C team, moved to JV, hopefully. Sometimes they were two- and three-year sub-varsity guys, and they come in and be huge contributors for us. So. That's good. Well, Coach, i got to ask you, what was it like coaching Tim Lincecum and part of your, your squad? You know, um, I had a lot of really good players uh, over the years. Um, he was amazing, though. You know, he was a guy that, that I truly enjoyed coaching. And, it, you know, it, it wasn't really until he left the program and went on to the University of Washington that I realized just how special a young man he was. Obviously, we knew he was talented. Um but his whole demeanor, the way he approached the game, um, the things that he had to overcome, which may sound, you know, kind of, I don't know, it may, it may not sound right that, that he ever had to, had to overcome some things, but he did. His size, his strength, um, maturity, just, you know, family and things that, that happened um, in his life. Um, you know, he was one of the only kids I've had that could walk on a field to two steps in a front flip you know he just was incredibly athletic didn't play golf goes out and shoots in the 70s just um i think that the things that really in my mind um are memorable there's a lot of things from tim but one of the things that was really or a few of the things um he was a junior and he, and he played jv as a freshman he played jv as a sophomore and a kid throws 96 to 101, you expect him to be a, a freshman phenom, but he wasn't. Um, he went from 75 to 78, from 80, you know, 78 to 82. And by a sophomore year, he's throwing 82. Junior year, he's 88 to 90. And senior year, he's 93. Those things just, just don't happen, right? But the things that set him apart were um, – kind of unknown my JV coach kind of hit him so when I brought him up as a junior um we're in a tight ball game against a really talented skyline team and they got their three four five guys up with base loaded nobody out and we're up by a run and um and he strikes them out in order um and in fact he goes you know three two on on a kid on their four hitter 
with bases loaded with tying run at third and throws a curveball for strike three. Buckles the kid. And just, I mean, right there, we kind of coach, and I look at each other, John Martin and I look at each other and just smile. Um, two nights later, did the same thing to Newport in a packed house at Bannerwood, a uh, night game. And um, I guess that was probably when we knew we had somebody pretty special. I almost screwed him up, though. So this is my claim to fame with Tim Lipscomb. We're, his senior year, we're struggling a little bit. You know, we went, I don't know, we, we had like seven losses in the, in the league um, his senior year, the year we won state. Um, so I'm like, we need some offensive production, so I put him in as a DH, left-handed hitter. He ends up hitting 381 for us, but um, hurts his back because he was a PO and didn't hit much. <laughs> and almost never got to, to play again. And uh, luckily we got him back in time for the, the playoffs and he did pretty well for us, but I almost ruined him. <laughs> Not making a strong case there for uh, those POs that want ABs there, Coach. <laughs> no, I, I would highly suggest not doing that, especially if you get a guy um, as talented as this kid. I mean, he had 183 strikeouts as a senior. For crying out wow. Unreal. We'll pivot here a little bit. Um, I, I think one of the concerns that, that I personally have um, for, for baseball right now and as we get deeper into this thing is just the development of players. Uh, I know the Little League system is at risk right now. I think one of the best things about the high school system is that we practice and we teach and we do a lot of instructing that, not saying it doesn't go on at the summer ball level, but maybe it's a little less prevalent um, than at the high school level. So talk a little about your thoughts right now of, of that development side. What are some things that, that maybe you think we could do? I know your involvement with, with state baseball and all those things. Um, where's kind of your headspace at right now about making sure that a lot of those younger players don't lose out on that development piece that they're missing right now. That is a great, great topic for discussion. I know we've had, as you mentioned, the state, um, we've had a lot of, discussions on this. I've spoke to uh, quite a few coaches. Um, it is a problem, and it is something that we need to try to work with the summer coaches, and one of the, one of the problems that we've had is that we have a high school versus summer coach uh, relationship, and we need to fix that, and, and it, it starts with us, um, but the summer programs need to be more willing to, to have those conversations with us because right now it you know they're steering their kids it seems like i shouldn't say there seems like they're steering their kids away from high school and i even have seen conversations and videos where um facilitators have said your kid doesn't need to play college or high school baseball to play college and, and here's some examples as to why and, and i about threw up when i saw that um those conversations need to happen because as you said, we do the instructing um, and then they get to play all day um, on, and all summer. And so I think, you know, we're not a preparation for summer ball um, and it shouldn't be thought of that way. And God bless the, the college coaches who are um, really kind of invested in the high school programs and know that, that we are important because um, if they didn't, I think we would, be obsolete, to be honest. So the conversations need to happen with the summer ball guys and say, hey, look, we got to work together. You got, you got to give us some credibility here. You got to give us some credit here. Um, 
we've got to start opening it up so that it's not $3,500 a kid to play baseball. Uh, we need to bring back like Legion teams and Little League teams and, and try to bridge the gap between the 12 year old Little League player and the 14 to 15 year old high school player. Because mm -hmm. I think that's the age group that we're missing right now. It's that 13, 14, 15 year old. If they're not playing summer ball, they stop playing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure your programs, you get the kid who. You know, comes in and says, boy, I'd like to try out, but I haven't swung a bat in three years. And my response is, just try out. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Just just come out. Give us a chance. Because if I can teach it for three years, you might you might contribute. But they're scared because they haven't done it. So the hope is that we can invent, create some kind of gap, um, some kind of program that can bridge that gap. That's a maybe a little more meaningful than Parks and Rec, mm -hmm. but isn't um, two thousand dollars to play? Yeah, it's really tough right now. I, you know, I hate to hate to lose out on that that high school season and whatnot for for all you guys. Um, such a big part of of your year and a, a small window of your year. I mean, I, I think I'm in a very fortunate spot with with the college level of not having that start and stop, but. Um, I'd, I'd love for something to, to happen for you guys to, to get seniors together. Um, I, I know it's difficult. There's a lot of moving parts. Kids are getting pulled in a lot of different directions. Um, but if there was a chance to do something, you know, let, let those seniors put on their uniform again and get, get together around Robin or, or something to that extent, I think would be, would be really huge for the high school system. So if you're talking about right now, this year, that's actually kind of in the works. Um, I know in my league, and, and, I, and I'm hopeful that other leagues are, are thinking the same, is uh, once this um, quarantine is over and they, they've allowed us to go back and have youth sports again, um, the goal is to have a round robin, single elimination, three, four games for those seniors to put the uniform back on. Um, there's some parts that definitely need to fall into place, namely – districts have to support it um they have to let us use fields um but even so we'll, you know we can go out and find some some places to play and there's enough coaches that are invested in that to make sure that happens that, that you will see high school kids play high school baseball um we just have to figure out how when and where you know that's we're. i think you bring up the the lens go ahead so we're in, we're in kind of the same same boat with you and, and you know i really hope that we get this opportunity to do that because you know and for our instance we have a group of seniors this year that have been building for this year and it's just such a shame for programs like that that they're not going to get to reap the reward of the last four years of, or at last three years of hard work exactly exactly and there's a lot of guys that are saying well that's okay we have summer ball but there's a lot of guys that don't mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, I think what I was going to say is that the tough part, you bring up the Lincecum story, and I think that there's, and, and we recognize that there's 10, 20, 30 kids right now in the state that are seniors that, that haven't had an opportunity to show with the work that they put in and how big of strides they have. I, I think we see it, it evident that guys mature at a, at a different period in time, and it, it happens at different times. It could be 16, it could be 18, it could be 22. Um it's just it's it's a really a shame for those guys not to give a chance to give a look and, and, and I'm sure you're following the 
the college levels with the backlog of players that those guys might not have a great opportunity because no one's seen them at their best so far. Great points. Yeah. Yeah. The goal, the hope, and I've talked to um, a number of coaches and I've even talked to a couple fast pitch coaches that are kind of thinking the same thing. Hey, if seniors want to go off and do their own thing, fine. We'll, we'll grab some of those incoming freshmen, put them in uniform and, and we just want to give opportunities. Um, I think we're going to talk a little bit about practice versus play, but kids got to play, man. I mean, that that's the thing that kids remember the most. Don in the uniform, um, our kids, Friday night lights, you know, we got the, the barbecue going, we got the band playing. I mean, it's, it's a party, man. We have a great time. And those seniors have senior night that they don't get. They have banquets they don't get. They have rewards and awards that they're not going to get. So anything that we can do to – I guess help the pain a little bit, ease the pain. That that's our that's what we have to do. One more day of the root beer garden. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know it's funny. Uh, we actually made improvements. We had a, an Eagle Scout project. They put up um, seating. We got a fire pit in there. They got a barbecue all set up in there, and they never got to use it. Ah. That's funny though. You remember that. Mini Kings Court. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, Coach, you know, let's dive into our banter part of this whole thing. And, and what are some of the keys to having an efficient practice? And what are some of the things that you prioritize within your practices? Um, right away, I'm going to say consistency in our approach um, and the skills that we teach. You know, I you can call me old school. You can call me whatever you want. Um, but, old, you know, I'll, Ultimately, we want our kids to learn fundamentals. We want them to learn basics and we want them to improve on those. So that we'll take a kid like Tyler Freeze, who's now playing the Cleveland Indians organization and had some of the best hands they've ever had. And I teach him how to field the ground ball first. Obviously, he looks at me with cross eyes and says, Coach, I know that. Well, that's fine. We have a starting place and we'll get to where you can excel as quickly as you allow. But we're going to start everybody here. And then we you know, differentiate the instruction and we go on. Um, with that being said, we want creativity in our instructions and our drills. Um, I, my focus, and, and I've I've kind of come full circle with this a little bit where I've changed some of the ways that we do things, but um, ultimately we want kids to know what they're going to be doing, but not know how they're going to be doing it. So we might have batting practice and every day there's a different drill that we're instructing and teaching and creating because you guys know that some kids may really fall in love with a certain set of criteria and a drill set and it may mean something where somebody else doesn't. So another one might mean something to them. Um, and I want them to be excited to be there. I don't want them to get bored. Oh, here we go again. Same routine. Here we go again. I get Coach, guess I bet we're going to do this, this, and this today. Yeah. No, I, I want them to say, hey, what are we going to do today, Coach? Look at the practice plan and be like, what the heck is that? You know, well, you'll see. Yeah, I'm excited for this. So creativity is important to me. Um, we do things the right way. At least we try to preach that. They walk on the field, like I said, hats on. They leave the field. We shake hands with them every day. We look them in the eye. We say, thank you for your work. Um, we try to and these are things that we've changed over the course of time. We try to get to kids and talk to kids. Um, but we, 
we teach and preach that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And you need to practice every day like there's somebody in the stands that has your future in, in their hands. Um, practice like somebody's watching, even if the stands are empty. Um, we have gone from three and a half hour practices. Now we're in and out and no more than two and a half, right? We, we want to be efficient. Uh, we want to um, keep the kids moving. We want mass repetitions without sacrificing quality. Um, and we try to be, like I said, we try to be creative in, in doing that. So that's, I'm really glad you said that because that was a, a an emphasis for us this year at Kittitas, partially so I could, you know, so I could be home at a decent hour for my wife and kid. Right. And so with our meetings leading up was how can we be so efficient that we're going to cut practice down by, you know, 45 minutes or so, but we're not going to miss anything. And, and elaborate on that too. But I also noticed when we did it, we got more reps and more quality reps in because of it. Right. We, you know, I was, I was the guy I was, and I still am to some extent, I'm working really hard to change it. <laughs> But I was the guy that we'd start a drill and it might be a 20 minute drill and I'd run it out an hour because we couldn't get it right. Now I might run that same drill that we can't get right. It might go 25, 30 minutes and then we, we move on because there's other things that are important. Now that doesn't mean that we won't come back and readdress it. We won't you know start over. But some kids, sometimes your kids just don't get it. They're just having an off day and to browbeat them for an extra hour doesn't do any good. Um, we had the same conversation about four or five years ago, and I actually went online um, and and um, I got some stuff off off. Um, God, I just lost the, the name of the the company, but um, and it, full script on practice plans. We started using some different stuff from different people, and I believe that good coaches will beg, borrow, and steal everything out there because once you start learning. Once you stop learning, you stop coaching, right? You, you need to. So some of the things that we do is um, we have shorter intents um, on our drill sets, um, and we don't try to attack everything on one given day, um, but everything is meaningful. So I'll spend an extra hour creating a practice plan so we can cut an hour off at the end, right? Spend more time preparing yourself. That way that you get exactly what you want in in the time allotments that you that you set up. This family is super important. We talked about a little bit about doing more and more. We're doing retreats and everything. We had to cut back. I mean, physically and emotionally, I couldn't do it. I was tired. And after 20-some years of coaching, you know, you have to cut some things back and, and without losing the quality or the character of your teams. Absolutely. One of the things I like you talked about, you, you mentioned how you, you make guys start at a certain ground point and maybe do things that they feel they already know or maybe too elementary for them at that point in time. Um, but it's amazing. I, I think one of the things that we've we've made adjustment for, for our program is to, to not to not treat players as if they already know something, right? To, to really make sure that you're teaching the entire group and assume that they don't know anything. Um, about a given area um, just so you don't miss out those small details because everyone comes from different places, different backgrounds, different experiences. Um, and we just don't know what has been taught at that point in time. And, and I think players learn to, um, 
to take a little bit from each coach. You talk about taking stuff from, um, from other coaches to modify your practice plans, but I think the best players have taken bits and pieces of everyone that's been a part of their development and made them a great player as a whole. So you might do something different that may not jive with what's been taught in the past, but if that player is able to learn to adapt to the environment um, and try to find value or one little thing to take away from each and every drill or activity, it's amazing how much better of a coachable player they are once they get to that next level. Exactly. So two things on that, you're nail on the head, right? Um, those kids that already have those skills and you're running them through those drills, they don't know it, but the other kids who don't know the drills, the other kids that don't have those skills, they're watching and they're able to, to gain that information and see what somebody else who already knows and does it well, what that looks like. And secondly, and, and we don't, we don't really talk about this too much, but something that I've been really proud of and something that I've, I've wanted to make a big part of, of what I do is trying to take those players and teach them how to be coaches. And so that part that you just talked about with picking bits and pieces from different guys will make, help your kids become good coaches if that's what they end up wanting to do. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about offense philosophy. Um, you know, you dive in as much as you want to give out on this, but you know, what's some of the things that, that might make you guys different from others in the league? I'm pretty open book. I've, uh, I've done some um, presentations on this and, and I just tell the guys right up front, look, I'll tell you everything I know. Um, I'm not a smart guy, but, but I've been able to pick up on a few things. And um, because we haven't always been blessed with incredible hitters, um, it's kind of become our philosophy ever since I was at Liberty to just create havoc, put pressure on teams. And um, our focus is always about being aggressive. Um, we don't want to be stupid, Right, we don't want to be just crazy, but um, we're aggressive. We're aggressive in, in the way we handle and attack the game offensively, um, from the skills that we teach to the things that we do. Um, and so, a big part of our practices revolve around base running. I think we'll talk about that in a second. But um, we're looking to take extra bases, right? We're looking to drag bunt, push bunt, slash bunt, or slash hit, slug bunt. Um, we're looking to do things that creates havoc and makes the other team try to stop us. It, you know, it, it creates their, um, you know, stress for the other teams, for the other players, for the other pitchers. Um, and, you know, ultimately it, it takes their practice time um, to try to figure out how to stop us. Um, and I think that's one of the coolest things in this chess match that we call baseball is watching the different parts where, you know, coach from the other side, hey, watch this. And I change it up and we do this. And then he says, oh, no, now they're doing this. And then we go backwards. And in this flip-flop chess game, ultimately, there's so many reasons why this game is the greatest game ever created. And, and that in and of itself is one of the biggest reasons. It's just, you know, it's an intellectual game. It's a chess match. And it's so much fun to coach and watch how the parts come together. Um, and then you talked about the, the state championships. Neither of those two teams would have won state championships without the ability to create havoc. Um, as good as we were, we weren't the best teams in the state that year. I've had teams that were, that didn't make it that far. Um, but those two teams, they were built around great kids, 
hard workers that bought into the program and did the little things that mattered. Well, I think that's a fun but, brand of baseball to be a part of in general. And, and I feel like the, the kids, you get them rallied around it. You can have some, the dugouts get louder, the, the, and execute a great bunt, to, you know, you know, we always take pride in, in knowing a bunt defense and we're going to execute it because not everybody can do that at our level. And it just makes baseball, it's a fun element to it. Yeah, it's exciting. It's fun. And it, you know, when things happen, we run a squeeze and we score two runners out of it and everybody's freaking out about how the heck that happens. My guys are over there high-fiving and, and jumping out of the dugout. Um, you know, it comes down to um, when the kids buy in and they understand just how important those things are. Um, I've coached a lot of games and against a lot of teams that were really, really successful. And to watch them sit back and swing and swing and swing and maybe run a steal, maybe run a hit and run. Ultimately, they're just going to let their guys do what they're going to do. And they win because their guys are that good. Um, no disrespect to those coaches, but that's boring to me. Yeah, I think we have different teams each year too. Um, you know, you may you may come to find a time and where I can sit back and watch guys hit doubles up and down the lineup, but I, I, I say it's not always the case, um, at least for the the collective parts. So I think more guys can learn the game. Um, it's never really uh, evident in that recruiting process process for the kid to really know what type of offense another team runs um and if maybe you're a, a double sit back guy in, in high school and hit game starts getting harder you're hitting in the eight hole all of a sudden your role completely changes i mean the guys that we bring in are more often than not top of the order guys or middle of the order guys guys that hit in, in key roles they're not used to be in that different role um so even if they never get to have to use that skill um at that next level just having guys that have the ability to do different things from an offensive standpoint uh, makes him that much more successful of a player. And, and I think from the mindset, at least with us, with our program, is that we may not be a, a, a bun all the time team. We like the hit and run. Um, but more often than not, those, those times when we do need a bunt, it's crucial. It's critical. And if the guy doesn't know how to do it and hasn't done it in, in the past and in pressure situations in, in high school, He's going to really struggle to come through in that moment. You're absolutely right. And I was actually thinking about that. I, I was sitting in a game watching. It was a state qualifying game, and we weren't involved. And uh, it was a tight ball game. Coach got runner on first base. And uh, uh, a parent in the stance says, why, Coach, go ahead, why aren't they button here? And my response is, do they know how? <laughs> right? I mean, you, you can't ask kids to do something they're not comfortable with, and especially in high-stress situations. And that's why that if you never use, we run plays and practice plays every year that we never run because one time in one game, that may be the difference in a win or loss. hundred percent. No, I, I totally, I think that's the, you know, some of the most memories I've watched playing baseball, whether it's been at final fours or whatnot, it's when teams are able to do stuff like that. And, and you can just, you can create so much more offense. So with that, hey, or causing havoc, and I think causing havoc on the base paths can be a extremely helpful tool. So maybe dive or dive into that. All right. So um, you know, I talked a little bit about the the base running part already, but um, our emphasis every day there's some kind of base running every single day, and and I believe that 
that you can look like you've never played the game if you don't know how to run the bases. I mean, you can look mm-hmm. like um, a, a team that's never been coached, that, that, that has never been taught basics, um, because you don't know what to do in certain situations and you aren't stress-free and you don't have faith that you, you can make the right decision. You won't typically make the right decision. And, and it will inevitably cost runs, which cost gains. Um, so we believe in base running. We believe in base running every day, whether it be just going through balls in the dirt, whether it be running through first base and, and breaking it down. Um, we call them pride turns at first. Take you know, looking on in the base and looking for, hey, can I extend into into a double um, based on what the outfielder does. Um, simple things as when to tag up, when to advance. You're on second base and the, there's a ball hit you know, in the gap or in the hole or in the air, um, what are we doing? Um, I've had too many circumstances where we've had a, a, a big run on third base. Any run on third base is big, let's be honest. Um, fly ball hit, and my guy comes off the base. Guy makes a great catch. We have to go back and tag and don't score. Guy hits it far enough to where there's no question we should score, and it ends up passing this run. So we, we – we drill those things all the time. As far as what we do that is a little bit different, our first and thirds, I think, are pretty creative. Um, and we have a couple of plays that we put in that I think everybody does. There's the, you know, the typical leave earlies and stop halfways. And, um, we run a double steal where we have both the guy from first and third steal at the same time. It's a little bit kind of quirky and, you know, if, if you have a good catcher, it doesn't work. But kind of our go-to play is um, a play that we call get picked. And, it, you know, it's it's kind of on the same um, lines as the, you know, the skunk in the outfield where you're trying to draw throws and you're trying to create a situation. Um, and this is the play that I think causes other teams to spend more of the practice time um, trying to stop us because there's a lot of moving parts but we'll extend off of first base normal pitcher comes set we'll we'll take a, a step or two more trying to draw a throw and when he does uh, if he picks it first or picks the first our guy on third reads the throw and takes off on the throw and in 2003 uh, that was the run that got us to the, the state finals um and you know all through the the years from that point on uh, we won a lot of games by being able to to steal runs um, with two outs, with one out, maybe not a great hitter up, um, a situation where guys absolutely dealing on the mound, and we just we need to generate runs without using the sticks. Um, it's a high emotional play, right? So you can't use it in the bottom of the first inning, score zero zero. You got to use it where it's you know a high stress situation where they're trying to get outs, we're trying to get runs. Um, because you're creating that havoc and, and you're spinning the game faster. And even if you've drilled and watched and prepared when it actually happens, you go back to what you've been taught for 10, 12 years, and that is get the ball and throw it. You know, get the ball, get rid of it, make a tag, and they're out. We're good. And when it doesn't happen that way, you kind of go, oh, crap. Uh, we use those first and thirds, and we practice those routinely and relentlessly. 
I, uh, while you were talking, I just, I got, it brought me back to memories of, you know, plays that we might have ran. Uh, whether it was like, I, and I just saw it on YouTube one day about where they get the lefty met our pitcher and the guy takes off and falls and rolls three times. Yeah. And we had a lefty shoving it one day and we couldn't do anything. I said, guys, I saw this on YouTube. Let's try it. We did it twice in the game and the guy balked twice. <laughs> and so I'm like, sweet. Well, then we did it in a loser out playoff game. It didn't work. We got picked off. The first base coach says a comment about that little league base running stuff doesn't work here. Well, we did it again and won the game and a loser out to go to state game. <laughs> I, I, I think there's a lot to it. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, and there's a lot of, a lot of things we used to, when I was little, we used to do the, the, you know, the pick at second and everybody dives and the center fielder runs off defensively and you try to, you know, and those are all their high emotional plays, right? They don't work unless there's something on the line. And so, you kind of you work on them, like I said. There's there are things that that we work on that we never use, but if we ever need it, we have to practice it, or you can't ask the kids to do it. I think the other side of that too is you talk about how much pressure you put on from a base running standpoint, whether that's taking turns at first or or a first and third system. Um, but I think we're all in the business of trying to one game extra bases and, and two prevent extra bases. Um, and if, if you're practicing against yourself and, and constantly have that pressure environment in a practice setting, not only your pitchers, but your infielders, your outfielders, they're used to guys running in their face and being able to slow the game down and not pressing and not getting themselves in bad positions because it's the same way they practice. So you come across a team that's doing a lot of this stuff and, all of a sudden it's just looking in the mirror and, and falling back on those routines and the things that you work hard at at practice every day. Absolutely. We'll talk a little bit. I think uh, I had a good talk with, with uh, one of your former players, Jake Phillips now at Pierce college, but um, got some background info there a little bit. Um, but before we get into, uh, before we get into infield play a little bit, Walk us through that that double squeeze play. I understand it's it's pretty important for you guys. Uh, what's 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 the secret there? You know, um, I actually talked about this, and and when I was when I was going to school, actually when I was younger, my dad coached, and we did the, the play I talked about defensively, where the guy spins. We also had a, a cut bag um, bunt where. Um, the guy at second base would actually take off and, and cut third base by a significant margin. And, and it worked really, really well. I don't, I don't subscribe to that. We, we want to touch all the bases. We want to be legal, right? So um, the way that we work it is, in my experience in, in coaching and in these high-stress games, with the runner on third, the pitcher has never – and at the college level, you guys are a little bit more in tune with what's going on. Um, kids are a little more used to that, I think. But the high school level, the pitchers are so intent on getting A, the batter out, and B, keeping the runner at third. Um, so they never even look at the guy at second. And so we um, we take our guy at second, and we just extend our leads, extend our leads. And when the, when the pitcher comes set, we're a good 20 feet off the bag probably, you know, just kind of walking, relax. As soon as the pitcher lifts his leg to go to the plate, we take off on a straight steal. So our rule for the, the squeeze and the guy on third is foot down or pitcher's front foot down, we move, right? So uh, the batter squares the bunt at that point. And the runner at third, um, 
they're walking on leg lift and they're running on leg on foot um, foot touch, foot strike. But the guy on second takes off as soon as he lifts his leg. I've had, I think, in the times that we've done it, I think I've had one time where the the other team even saw the guy at second and said, step off, it was too late. Um, as soon as as soon as the pitch is thrown, we we try to bunt it. Um, guy in third, normal squeeze situation. Guy in second, he's looking at me completely, 100%. I'm either waving him or I'm holding him. If the bunt goes in the air or it's a, a pass ball or we don't bunt it or whatever, um, that guy can hold still. So we didn't really lose. We lost a run. Uh, we probably lost an out if we don't execute the bunt. But we still we didn't run into an out, the second out. Um, and so the, the guy on second is hugely important. He's got to stay with me. And, and I'll work all the way down, 30 feet down the line, before I tell him to go or stop. Um, and it usually if, if the ball's bunted back to the pitcher or down the third base line, we're scoring both. If a ball's bunted to first, I have to make sure that the first baseman turns his back to the play before we can advance because he can see, obviously see the runners coming in. Um, I can't honestly say that we've ever not been successful if we get the bunt down, either scoring one or both runs. We did it in the state title game. Um, it was a backbreaker. It was an absolute backbreaker. The guy was safe at first. We scored two runs out of it. And the dejection of the other team was, I mean, at that point, we, we knew we had the game. Hey, talk yeah, about think, oh, go, ahead. go, 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 Kelly. No, I was thinking that that backside runner, um, and there's teams that are really good at it. And, and we're not just talking about a squeeze situation, but we're talking about, you know, left-handed first baseman on defense with a ground ball up the middle. Um, with two outs. I mean, that's such a good send type play and there's the right ball for it, but kind of going back to what you're talking about, kind of those in- intricacies in, in coaching that um, sometimes get missed, but just kind of that joy, letting your heart rate go a little bit, um, knowing you have a chance to steal something based on percentages and odds and, and experience with, with trying to steal those extra runs. So having that, that mindset and in, in practice of, of going hard and running hard, allows you to do those things you know if you have guys that that will work to try to take extra bags you know that you can get some extra runs here and there by by being aggressive and it's not overly aggressive it's playing the percentages of this is what likely will happen and we have an opportunity to steal something out of this exactly yeah i i like um i like scoring the guy at second especially with two outs because if they can see the play there's no harm um but a lot of times they botch the the play across the diamond and um, if we're running hard and I will, that's one of the times I'll come, I'll get pretty upset with my guys. If they kind of cash it in, if they're at second base and they're not going hard, um, especially with two outs, because that's an opportunity for us that we've missed. Um, we'll even squeeze and and I get a lot of flack for this. We'll even squeeze the base loaded. And people will go, what are you doing? It's like, if we run it right, it doesn't matter if there's bases loaded or, or, or what, because we're going to be safe. Mm-hmm. Coming down to out executing your opponent. That's basically yeah. yes. what you're doing. Yeah. Well, let's dive into some infield play. I know that's a very big, uh, you know, part of this. And, and what's some of the, some of the drills that you have found to be the most successful for you? 
and just your overall philosophy of of creating great infielders? Um, yeah, so um, we work our infielders a lot. You know, we, a big part of our practices are divided um, practices with outfield, infield, pitchers, catchers. Um, and because we got so many two-way guys, our pitcher infielders, obviously, shortstop's probably going to be your number one. It's just what high school is. Um, we have to be conscientious about how we script it out. But um, a lot of the things that we do is a lot of the things that we do are um, meant to get our kids familiar and comfortable and, and give them the opportunities so that when it happens in a game, they don't freak out. It's like coach is saying, slowing the game down. Um, we, one of my favorite drills, and we do this quite often because we can get a ton of reps in a very short amount of time uh, to two slash four fungal drill. I think I saw it on Coach Gal's um, webpage there or whatever uh, for St. Martin's name was set up. Um, we have two coaches or four coaches if you can, if you can do it. Um, and you're hitting mass rep ground balls. Um, our focus is always on um, get as many balls out in a short amount of time but make them meaningful. So we're not hitting, you know, one hot ground balls. We're not hitting consistent uh, hot ground balls. We're trying to gain, um, we're trying to put into motion balls that would happen in a game. So we'll start with um, coach A goes short stops in first base. Coach B has third and second. Um, and if you have four, they each have an independent line um, with their players at their, their set positions. Um, the first set will go Adams um, and then get them kind of warmed up loose and we'll go glove hand. We'll go back in. And that's kind of consistently where it'll go short first, short first, short first. So that, you know, your kids, my focus, we talked about creativity. The focus is always not to have kids stand around. They got to be active in, especially high school baseball. We're starting in February. And if our kids are standing for more than about six seconds, they're cold, they're wet, they're miserable, and you're not going to get, the quality of work out of them that you want. Once we go through that simple set, then we break it up and we'll go two fungos. Uh, we'll go five, four, three double plays, um, but the the five, four won't throw the completion. And then we'll go six, three ground balls. And we go at you, glove hand, back in. Um, and then we'll change it up. And so we'll, we'll hit on all of our, our five, three, six, three um, type plays three, five type plays, three, six, threes, and all the double plays that would factor into that in a short amount of time, 30 minute set. Um, we can, in my opinion, we can get just about every ground ball that could be hit. Um, that's my favorite. And that's kind of our go-to um, daily drill. Um, if their arms are tight, sore, if they've thrown a lot the day before, uh, we don't have to throw. We can always just do footwork stuff, slow rollers without throws. Um, but that drill, and, and I don't think that's any different than what a lot of uh, teams do, a lot of coaches do, because you can go through all of the different plays. Um, we have a drill, I call it the circus drill, and, and it has different names, but it's basically the drill where everybody rotates. It's fast paced, it's quick, it's all about being successful and being perfect. Um, so we'll start with a ground ball, the shortstop, flip or feed the second, and follow your throw. Shortstop becomes second baseman. Second baseman converts to double play, uh, becomes the next first baseman. First baseman 
builds it, comes off, throws home. Now we go slow roll, bunt, and they got to come out and make a strong throw to third um, for a tag play. Third baseman comes up, throws it to the plate. Now we go ground ball, and this is a, a bunt or a slow roller where they're going to go into second for the force out. And it's a continuous rotation where the kids, each kid is playing every other position now. So the first baseman um, it gets to play shortstop. And pretty funny when you get left-handed first baseman playing short. It, it's, it's fun. The kids enjoy it. It's fast-paced. They're huffing and puffing. They're having to be perfect. They make a bad throw. They're not communicating on their tags. They're not making tags. We start over. Um, and so we'll start up and just kind of go through, get, get comfortable, and then we'll go, okay, five five in a row without a mistake, or three in a row. And if they get through the cycle three times, we're done. If they don't, we keep going and going and going. Um, the reset and, and whatever we have to do um, because we want those high-stress plays where they're having to communicate and they're having to run um, to be perfect or as close to that as we can. Um, I love um, balls in the air, 21 outs. That's uh, a drill that we do two to three times a week um, where we'll start with the full team out there, JV and varsity. And it, balls in the air is just communication. I just hit balls all over, all pop flies, no runners on. They're just communicating. We're trying to get to the, the triangles where communication is key. Um, and then we move into what we call 21 outs. Some people call it perfect 21. Um, and we usually take one of our teams, our JV will run full varsity set, we'll field. And we'll just put balls in play. And we'll, we'll try to get through all bunk coverages, try to get first and thirds. We go balls in the gaps. We do um, you know, our twins and, and uh, relays, um, pitchers on the mound. Um, and so that's a way of getting them live-type reps as close to a game-like setting. And, again, they have to be perfect when we start over. So the reason we call it 21 outs, we could get to 20 perfect outs, make a mistake, and have to go back. We actually um, changed the way we do things with that drill two, three, three years ago. Um, because this is such a game of failure, we want our kids to pick each other up, right? That's We, we hear that all the time. What does that mean? Um, we always say pick each other up. And then we say, well, you, you made a mistake. We're going back to zero. So we started giving the kids an opportunity to pick each other up. So if my shortstop boots a ball, we're on 18. The boots the ball. Um, he, our team has an opportunity. If they make the next play, we don't go backwards. Because in essence, in a baseball game, if you're in the seventh inning and your shortstop boots the ball, but the next guy return a double play, you never even know, right? It, it's gone. That error is is really all forgotten. So that's kind of where we're at with that too. Love the drills. They're fast paced. Um, they're live uh, situations, um, and the kids the kids have a lot of fun with them. Love it. I think the the one question I have for you is how do you manage that instruct of your infielders? I know there's unique things at each position. It's one of the things that I find hard from time to time if you don't have a ton of extra help or any extra help at all. But how do you manage? It's, it's going to teach uh, second base pivots today. or We're going to teach picks for the first baseman today or maybe bunts for the third baseman. How do you manage that at practice to be able to teach those uh, position-specific things with with everyone else needing something to do at the same time? 
know, that's really hard. And that's the, the beauty of, of having extra coaches in your program. And like you said, not everybody has. And so I go into the seasons with the thought process that we have to do everything by ourselves. Um, and if we do have extra coaches, that's awesome. I got the luxury of having a catching coach this year. So I said, okay, my catching coach, you're going to go do catching stuff. Um, and then as soon as you're done, you're going to run my first and third basements. You're going to run slow rollers while I work with my middle infillers on pivots. Um, if that's not an option, which I've rarely, but we've, we've had to, um, we'll have um, uh, another player roll ground balls. I'll instruct the, the middle infielders on pivots. Then I'll go talk to the first and third of the corner guys about what they're doing. And then they'll just kind of run the drills themselves. And I just kind of keep walking, watching back and forth. Um, it's not ideal, obviously. Um, but it's a reality. It's a, it's a reality of, of high school and, and college where you may not have enough guys. I watching, um, uh, watching a video of, of, a, of a great coach um, now at the professional ranks talking about having, you know, six hack attacks. Right. And they're all throwing balls. And I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, that's not our reality. Right. So um, we need to be, need to be realistic about what our expectations are. Um, and you got to be realistic about your knowledge base. If you don't know turns at second base, it's pretty tough to go in there and try to, to do it a short amount of time. So that's where the learning piece comes in. Um, I'm a big fan of, of you have to know how to do it in order to instruct it. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, it, uh, I don't believe that you have to have done it. I just know that you, I just think that you have to have had the ability to learn it and be really good at it so that you can instruct because the kids know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And it becomes very evident when you're trying to talk about something that isn't truly right. And so, um, that's the biggest thing that high school coaches, I think, going back to our initial conversations against the summer guys is um, summer guys say high school coaches don't know what to talk about. It's just a math teacher. Well, it doesn't, it isn't always, right? A lot of us know what we're talking about. And that's the important part is teach what you know and don't try to think. Love it. Absolutely, yes. coach. Good. Jason, you're back. What do you got for us? Got audio. His, his microphone was gone for a while. <laughs> yeah, man. No, coach, this has been good stuff. No, I, uh, I think that's totally true. You know, I, I, there is that that disconnect between those those summer ball guys and and uh, our programs, and I think it's super important that we keep plugging our guys into our programs. You know, I, I think that you know if, if we keep beating the, the bush and the in the thick of it you know, pretty much, you know, we're going to have it all knocked down where you're going to be able to see the the clear sight. And, uh, you know, I think it, it's important that we keep instilling with our guys how important it is to wear the, uh, the name on the front of our uniform. And so let me just ask you this. Um, you know, you were talking about earlier with your guys, knowing the program and what you, you know, your freshman, what to anticipate. How do you correlate with your seniors with your underclassmen in that too? We... Ever since I was at Liberty, we've always run JV and varsity together. Um, when I went to Auburn Mountain View, our C team field is right above. And so we have the, the luxury of having all teams on campus. And about um, uh, probably seven years ago, 
it became apparent we weren't doing enough to get those C-team kids and the freshmen involved because after tryouts, we'd say, C-team, you're, you're up in the upper field, and the JV and varsity would be down below. So any freshman, obviously, on JV, they would work side-by-side side with our varsity guys, and we never differentiate. Um, that's one of the things I'm very proud of. The only time we um, will separate our kids out is when we're doing, like, 21 outs. Um, our scrimmage games, um, all, of, all, all of our drills are side-by-side. Um, so the kids, my belief is the kids learn from each other and seniors can learn from the younger kids too um, and help them along, right? Teach them, help them and learn from them. The kids that are up above, we start saying, okay, so we're going to start out our practices. Everybody's going to run, stretch and throw together. Those are the things that we can do on the same field without jeopardy of a kid getting hurt, um, which <laughs> ultimately, I mean, some of the C team kids aren't as skilled. Right. And so we don't want to, my guy who throws 93 across the bump, throwing it to a, a C team or a freshman who hasn't played much baseball. Um, that's, you know, that kid's going to get hurt. So, um, but we try to bring them together at least during our retreats. We do um, our Monday afternoon meetings. Um, and then during our warm ups, our run, stretch, throw segments, and base running, anything that can be done. Uh, safely and then we'll say okay now C team you guys go practice JV and varsity we're staying together uh, again we keep everybody united uh, and there's really three reasons one is for that correlation and camaraderie between the groups um, two is to give the the seniors and juniors some leadership real leadership and and buy-in to teaching those guys and something that we don't all, always think about but I need my JV teams to be ready in case we go to the playoffs and I'm pulling a kid up to run bases or do whatever. And if he's off on some other field uh, with some other coaches, I don't know who I can trust to come up and do things the right way. I want you to learn the right way from the day one so that we can bring you along. And who knows, you may end up scoring the winning run in the state title. I think there's a lot to say that, you know, having those guys around the seniors just to know how things roll in your program too. I know for us, it's you know, when we have a good senior group, you can see the correlation a couple years later. Absolutely. Well, Coach, that, that was a lot of fun. That, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time to, to be on the Fungo Banter. Yeah, my pleasure, and I, I really appreciate having me on. I feel honored to, to be a part of this. We appreciate that. Well, uh, if anybody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to reach out? Like I said, you know, email um, gwalker at auburn.wednet.edu. Um, give me my phone number, but I don't know if we want to put it online. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm wide open for any comments, conversations. If, if you think I'm full of it, you can tell me that too. Um, if you want some more information, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always here to help. And, and I think that, like I said before, um, it's our job to try to learn from each other. Um, to be the best that we can be is the kids deserve it, you know, and, and at the end of the day, this is all about them. hundred percent. Well, thank you so much. And, and Kelly and Jason, we'll be right back to close this thing out. Thanks guys. Well, we're heading to the bullpen. We're going to close this thing out. I'll tee it off. Uh, I was super excited when he talked about how he ran his offense and, you know, the chaos, the, the causing, uh, I guess, yeah, chaos and and doing things and, and being really good at doing executing out executing other people. I know that there's years that our team or my team might not be 
the best, most talent. We got to figure out how to win and we got to teach them some things about baseball. So that's, that's one of my, you know, my, my deals I go to is I'm going to, we're going to try to create chaos. We're going to try to create controlled chaos on our end, not controlled on their end. And I was just excited to see that someone at a bigger level of school, not just the 2B level, like that is doing that kind of thing. And I think that he talked about, I guess I think he talked about, but you know, sometimes you got to face a Friday night guy. Like when we're facing a Logan Mercado from Tri-Cities Prep, you know, we're not going to be sitting back trying to hit bombs off that guy because he's throwing upper 80s at us. And we got a Friday night guy. We got to be able to do certain things to be able to to score runs, manufacture runs. And then there's some days we just got to swing it. And I think having that balance and and I love the controlled chaos aspect of his talk today. Yeah, Eric, I think uh, I think the one thing that rings true for me is you talk about momentum um, and momentum in this game. Uh, such a crucial factor that it's really hard to gr- to grab, and and when you have it, you really want to hold on to it. You know, our uh, our first base coach, outfield coach Andy Forgione, I'll give him the shout out. Um, he talks about Mo all the time, right? And and you're always trying to get Mo. You know, and once you have Mo, you want to keep him. Um, and it's funny ways like that to to uh, to speak to, but. Um, sometimes one of those big things of, of a drag bun or a, a executed hit and run can really start to build momentum, you know, and, and put pressure on the other team. You know, Lindsey Mags at, at UW will say it all the time. Uh, you're either applying pressure or you're feeling pressure. Um, and then I think by putting that on there um, and doing things that really create some momentum, allow your offense to click. We talk about this thing being contagious and it's really hard to get going by sitting back and trying to hit a lot. You know, you got a 30% chance if you're a good hitter at, at being successful there. And some of these other things work when the percentage is all right. And it's not that it's a hundred percent execution type thing, but it just gives a different look, a different feel to things um, and, and gives some faith and hope within your offense um, and allows you to kind of click and, and go forward from that standpoint. But I, I think the important thing is to, to try to continue to teach the game as best we can. Um, we can't get caught up in, in what major, major league baseball is doing. It's phenomenal right now. It's fastballs and home runs. And that's great. You know, those are some of the best guys in the world at doing it. Um, but I love watching playoff baseball. I mean, I, I think the Red Sox a couple of years ago um, did a phenomenal job of just two strike hitting um, a guy shortening it up and taking team at bats and doing things to win games. And we hadn't seen it in a long time uh, at that major league level. Um, and it's not that one thing is right or wrong, you know, sitting back and hitting doubles isn't a wrong thing or, or drag or pushing or, or slashing is not a wrong thing, but the more tools you have at your dispense, uh, it allows you to adapt on the fly and, and try to create mon- momentum and, and ultimately have a chance to win more ball games. No, for sure, guys. I, I, I totally, uh, you know, agree with what you're saying there. Both. We, we got it. We got to keep that momentum at practice. It, it, you know, it gets back to the statement, the way you practice, the way you play. And I, I totally love how coach Walker plays in with the working on your first and thirds and, you know, working on your double squeeze and those kind of things. And, you know, we had that happen in our state final game uh, back in 2018 when we played Brewster, uh, we did a double squeeze score two runs and it completely just crippled them. Um, you just saw it on the faces of the, of the players as well. It's the guys in the dugout, you know, and if you keep that momentum going and you keep that in high intensity, I think you guys, we, we see this pattern here with great coaches who are doing a phenomenal job in their programs. If they can keep that intensity of practice, it's correlating to their game. 
you know, and it's a, it's a year in year out thing. It's not, yeah, you're going to have some years you are going to go farther into the state tournament than others. And some years you're going to only going to, you know, maybe get beyond districts and that's it. But the fact that is they're in year in year out, you know, it's, it's kind of an automatic thing. The kids know what to expect. They're coming in, they're working hard, you, you, you know, and, and you're taking the most of your time too. Um, I think sometimes coaches, we can go two, three, four, five, you know, we can go all day if we want to teach them. But are we getting the most out of our kids is by doing that. And I think it's important that you talk about time management, um, all those factors, you know, we go two hours. I mean, that's, that's the given allotment time, um, you know, but we go in and we, we get right into practice. You know, you got to get your stretches and your dynamics and those things, but we have a game schedule. We write it out our plan. We are in and we're pushing the throttle full in because that's what we're going to be in when it comes to a game. Um, you know, you, you've got on that first pitch to that last pitch. And that, that's just if we could keep that correlation going and, and we keep pushing our players and growing as coaches and the programs are, that you guys yeah, are out there, they're struggling maybe or trying to look for picking up these little things that we're talking about um, are important. You know, and, and the thing is, is, as a coach, you never stop learning. You know, and the thing is, is that, you know, what coach is talking about today, yeah, there's some really good stuff, you know, I, I'm going to add to our program, you know, and things is that I don't know it all, you know, and I'm trying to learn this game. It's much more better than the other next guy, you know, and if we're, if we stop growing as coaches, what, what good do we become to our, our program as well as to our players? Absolutely. You got to learn, get better and challenge yourself every day. Like I believe coach Calhoun said 1% better every day. Mm -hmm. So, well, that wraps up another episode of the Pacific Northwest Fungo Banter. We will be back next week. A couple of good episodes we got planned ahead of us. Um, check us out on Facebook at Pacific Northwest Fungo Banter. On Twitter at Fungo Banter PNW. And you'll catch us on all the Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. Uh, stay healthy. Take care of one another. And let's get back to baseball. <laughs>